And we, def uh, we think you need three things to flourish. You need a good job, you need good friends, you need Jesus. We deem that economic, social, and spiritual capital. We talk about those three capitals a lot. And so uh, within about 90 or 100 days, God just began to work on me to say, how can we create flourishing inside of this prison? We can give them a job, but what else can we do? What do we do socially and spiritually for these folks? So over the last 20 years, we have just worked diligently to create a, a business that thinks about economic, social, and spiritual capital. just want to make a quick note that while we were recording, we lost Bluetooth connection with, with um, Pete real quick. And so if there's any kind of drop in thought uh, in the conversation that we had with Pete, it was because we lost con uh, connection real quick and we had to pick things back up. And so sorry for that, but you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the Generosity Now podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories of generosity and whole life stewardship. Our goal is to showcase individuals and organizations making a positive impact in our communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Eric Most, president of the National Christian Foundation, Rocky Mountain Region, and I'm joined by my incredible co-host, Lori Bossert, VP on our team. Lori, how are you doing today? Eric, I am loving it. I know this is not your favorite thing, but it's going to be 75 degrees here in the Rocky Mountains. It's October. That makes me really happy. I know you're missing the snow. You keep waiting for it to come. Well, the snow is coming. It's going to be here on Thursday up in the mountains. So, uh, you know, I love every season here in Colorado, as, as many of you know. And so um, I, I just wasn't quite ready for summer to be in, uh, over. But I think uh, we did, our family did a, a big trip to uh, uh, Telluride in Durango uh, camping. And so I think we kind of closed the chapter of most of the camping and we're ready for it to transition into more of the snow sport uh, season. So we also on today's podcast have Pete Oaks joining us. Um, Pete is the founder and chairman of Capital Three, an impact investment company with investments in the U.S. and Central America. Enterprise Stewardship is an initiative of Capital Three that equips marketplace leaders with resources to transform their personal life and business enterprises. During his four decades in business, he has invested in operated companies in the energy, manufacturing, banking, education sectors, oftentimes focusing on places devoid of human flourishing, such as prisons and poverty-stricken countries. Pete's passion in life is to educate, equip, and empower business leaders around the world to live for something greater than themselves by using their business platform to impact the world for Christ. Pete lives uh, by four simple principles. Honor God, serve people, pursue excellence, and steward capital. These four simple but powerful principles when brought to bear on creating economic, social, and spiritual capital, result in a high-impact life. Pete doesn't do this alone. He's also been married to uh, his wife, Debbie, for many years, uh, who's not with us today. But Pete, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really glad to have you. Eric, thanks for having me. This is a privilege. Well, uh, it has been... Um, it, you have been on the list of, of podcasts and interviews that we've want to had from the start. And so uh, your influence of sharing about uh, life, your labor, your influence, your finances and expertise and stewarding it well and stewarding it for God's glory um, has been a message that I heard uh, early on in my days at NCF. And from that, I've kind of grabbed a hold of it. I've taken it. You know, you used to attribute when you first quote something, you attribute it to somebody else, you know, oh, 
Pete Oaks has said. And then then you start saying it so much, you can say like, I, I say, and then you can always say, I've always said. Well, I haven't quite gone there. I try to also always kind of attribute this back to you. But um, the influence that that has had on both me personally, and I hope those that we are sharing with has been significant. And so we're so grateful to have you. We're excited to get into this conversation. Um, and so thank there you. you. Go ahead. It's great to be here. I need to disclose a, a very little known fact. I wish I could take credit for the life acrostic, but that really came from Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade. And I heard Bill years ago talk about life, labor influence, financial resources, and expertise. And um, I didn't hear him use it for a long time, but he, that one time I heard it, it stuck in my bean. And uh, so you can quit at giving me attribution for that and claim it for your own or give Bill the, the credit. Oh, what what a what an impact that he has had as well. So, hey, you know, what does Song of Solomon tell us? There's nothing new under the sun, right? We're all just, we're just recirculating all these ideas. So grateful that you've shared it and we're going to keep sharing it and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Hey, Pete, would you give us a little bit of your background? You know, where did you grow up? What was family life growing up? Tell us about how you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and and, and tell us about your family today. Sure. I'm a Kansas farm kid, grew up in a town of about 4,000 folks. My mom was a school teacher. My dad was a farmer. Um, I, the strong Christian people. Uh, I think as I look back, the, the impact, the impact my parents had on me was, was astounding. Uh, just, just the way they lived, what they did for people, the generosity they demonstrated. And uh, it was amazing. I Quick story, uh, it was Christmas. I was seven or eight years old. I was out in the shop, working away, building stuff. I went over in the corner, I pulled black back a blanket and underneath that blanket was a red radio flyer wagon, brand new, big, had the wood sides on it. Um, and I went crazy. I thought, gosh, because my wagon was beat up and didn't work right and whatever. It was a little interesting because there was a box of apples inside this wagon, and I thought that was strange. Christmas Eve rolled around, and uh, my dad said, you know, we had our Christmas Eve dinner. Dad said, hey, I need you to help me, Pete. So we went out in the shop. He walked over to the corner. I had put the blanket back on the wagon and covered everything up. Uh he went over, yanked the blanket off, and I'm going, gosh, is he giving it to me now? And he said, to help me load this into the car. And very quickly, I realized that this was not for me. He put it in the back of our station wagon. We drove to the other side of town to a very small house. And you can imagine I was totally distraught the whole way. We got to this house, and Dad had me wheel the wagon up the front door. He knocked on the front door opened the door and it was bedlam in there. It was a small house, but there were had to be six or seven kids in there. I pulled that wagon in and these kids went crazy. And all of a sudden I understood generosity. Mm. It was the first, my first lesson, amazing. So my parents were, uh, they're amazing. Came to Christ at 12 accepted him as Lord, 
in college, I really made him savior. It was a big thing. I just saw the craziness of the world in college. And I said, I, I can't go there. And so I really grabbed onto him as savior. Um, got out of college, married Deb. Things were, were really good. Um, and so, yeah, life has been really good. I think uh, it's been about every 10 years on my on the on my birthday when I turn to the next generation, God has always showed me or taken me through kind of a major thing that has changed me in some way or another. But uh, yeah, the generosity started an early age for me. What a beautiful story and the fact that you were able to grow up with parents that were modeling it for you and it gives us understanding, Pete, of your generosity and how you have valued people right from the start and you've lived out the legacy that your parents have built inside of your whole family. Well, I I can certainly do better, but they were a great example. Mm. Yeah, I've I've heard you say before, Pete, that um, Christ-centered generosity um, is caught, not taught. And so that illustration about catching the vision with that red wagon um, filled with apples, um, that's incredible. Um, How have you and Deb um, kind of modeled that? Because with with your own kids, you have adult kids now as well? Yes, I've got a 42-year-old son and a 40-year-old daughter. We have nine grandkids. All of them live in town and close to us. So um, we get a lot. I'll I'll put it this way. Deb gets a lot of grandkid time and I get sufficient grandkid time. Uh, Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, National Christian Foundation has really impacted us along with generous giving. I think um, they have really showed us the way. I came, uh, I was 40, I'm, I'm 71. And so at, at the age of 40, I really came to understand ownership versus stewardship. And that really turned things around for me. Unfortunately, I thought stewardship meant financial generosity. So during the nineties, when I was in my forties, we just put the hammer down in business and tried to make as much money as we could because I thought the purpose of business was to give it away. And 9-11 rolled around, and that really changed things. But during that time, we uh, we began to grow in understanding generosity. And I think the best I think the best thing that we've done with our kids, probably at, they were ten and twelve when we had our first family meeting, and we'd come back from a generous giving conference, and uh, literally sat the kids down, and I had my you know, my son was 12, my daughter was 10. I'd all, my son already knew accounting. He knew balance sheets, income statements, because I was teaching him business, okay? And so we sat down and we just shoved our personal financial statement across the table and said, this is where we are. Uh, you need to understand that if something happens to mom and I, this is how much you're gonna get, and this is how much you're not gonna get, okay? Uh, And then we said, we talked through what are we going, how much are we going to give as a family this year? So we had this number, we put a number on it. Then we took, I I think that first year it was like $1,000. We gave each kid $1,000, said, uh, your job this year is to give that away. And then you have to come back and report on that the following year. And we've done that almost every year since. We, um, when the kids got married, we continued to pull their spouses in. 
we continue to have this family meeting and just talk about where we are, how much is enough, how much should we give away? And I think that's been a really, a really good thing for us. Pete, we in some ways did a little bit of the same thing where we took our kids at the table and we asked them, we showed them where we were giving and we said, does this reflect in our family? Is this our family values? Is our giving reflecting who we are? And I think sometimes we parents often want to instill things in our kids, but our kids have a huge ability to look at us and be able to give us the best feedback we've ever heard in our lives. And we welcome that a lot from our children. Yes. I will say one other thing. One of the things Deb and I did start doing, we used to just, I used to think generosity was writing a check. And if we go back to our labor influence, financial resources and expertise, labor is your time, influence is your tribe, financial expertise, your treasure, expertise is, you know, your, uh, your talent. And I, we started getting more involved in uh, uh, just a couple of ministries. So not only did we give our money, but we gave our time and our talent. And we, we pulled our kids along with that. So they began to see whether it was a mission trip or whatever we did, they saw the results of what the money bought and how it worked. And I think this immersion of actually being involved uh, in the ministry, whatever that looks like, uh, was a really powerful thing for them as well. Hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. Um, uh, I love these conversations because they don't go exactly where I think that they're going to go. And uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, I have, um, I, I sit at a, a different age. I'm, I'm kind of uh, a peer to your children and I have young boys at home. I have a 11 and a seven year old and 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 we we've been trying to do the same thing and try to model and encourage and inspire generosity. We help them. We do a, a family business meeting um, where we break down their uh, their their um, their base pay and their uh, commissions that they can earn. That's based off of how they do work. And and then we help divide it. And, and we say that hey, we will always double your generosity. And so we're we're doing some of those things. But but I'd love to hear maybe even a story about like when was a time a time that you actually brought your kids into some of the work. So the, um, the, the labor that you guys were doing, be it uh, overseas missions or, or in the U.S., and, and, and an impact that that had at kind of at maybe a younger age. So, yeah, Eric, I think the, you know, being able to not only write the check but be involved is really important. And for me, I think uh, if I look back at my our involvement with our kids, I can remember when my son was probably 12, and we'd been supporting a ministry overseas for a number of years. We literally took him on that trip. And, um, you know, I, uh, we built several houses. We worked with the people. We got him involved. And it, uh, it, it changed his life. And then there's just been other times. You know, I think um, we've got a business in Honduras. And so we make... As families, we've gone down there several times. And just to kind of see the business and then to see what the business is doing to support the ministry, et cetera, that has been really impactful. Even when our kids are, you know, 30 and 35, we have impact at 10, 12, 15. But I think to continue to do that as a family and uh, pull them together and view our giving. We really view our giving as kind of a family thing and not an individual thing. And I think that's been really important. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. Well, um, you, uh, I believe your son is involved uh, today with your work in some of the, the the business that's also in um, in prison. And so my first introduction to, to Pete and Debbie Oaks was through a journey of generosity. I was actually uh, in Alan Barnhart's um, boardroom, and my first time ever watching this this video. Here's this guy from Kansas who's getting up and start talking, and um, and next thing you know, um, you know, there's these pretty doves flying around in this picture, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Hold on, wait, is that is that is that like prison wire in the background?" And all of a sudden I see. Uh, and it's revealed that that you and your wife, you guys have started a business in a prison. And you first did it because you needed more manpower, but then that's also created a lot of impact. And, and so um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about that. But then my introduction um, to your son was involved in a, a video that we did together um, kind of during the COVID years. And I got to hear some of the impact of, um, of the prison ministry and the significantly lower recidivism rate with folks that have kind of come through your life program and the work that you guys have done. So give us an overview of that um, business. And um, and you have a couple businesses in prison now. And so what does that look like? And what's the impact that you guys are seeing? So uh, Eric, that was in about the 2005 timeframe. Uh, we were, we had a business that was located in Hutchinson, Kansas. We had a very difficult time finding entry labor, entry level manufacturing labor to come and work for us. I found out about a work release program where the the prison would literally uh, bus inmates to us. We'd work them during the day and then they'd take them back at night. I did that and I went, the, the warden said, this is great, I need 10 more. And he says, we don't have 10 more, but we are getting ready to vacate a building where we employ inmates. And if you could figure out how to move your business inside behind the walls of the prison, you could have that space and you'd have access to three or 400 men. Within 30 days, we were inside the prison. I, and you alluded to this, I literally went into the prison I, I, out of greed. I needed labor, okay? But within about 90 days, God really <coughs> convicted me that maybe the only difference between them and me was that they got caught and I hadn't. Now I'm being a bit facetious there, but you know what I mean? And so that just started this journey of, for me, uh, they were in a desert of human flourishing. And we, def uh, we think you need three things to flourish. You need a good job, you need good friends, you need Jesus. We deem that economic, social, and spiritual capital. We talk about those three capitals a lot. And so uh, within about 90 or 100 days, God just began to work on me to say, how can we create flourishing inside of this prison? We can give them a job, but what else can we do? What do we do socially and spiritually for these folks? So over the last 20 years, we have just worked diligently to create a, a business that thinks about economic, social, and spiritual capital. So social capital, we look at it, uh, if you can think back to the MasterCard commercials, they've been around for 20 years. They're still running them every now and then. But the one I continue to think about, you see this picture of this beautiful beach, two people sitting on it. On the screen, it shows airfare, $800, hotel, $400, champagne, $40. Uh, sunset on the beach with the one you love, priceless. I think social capital in some case is, it's priceless. Social capital is all the things money can't buy. It's relationships, it's feeling like you're wanted, it's peace of mind, it's health. And as businesses, we just 
we're we're so in tune to the bottom line, the financial bottom line, that we kind of walk past. We think, oh, that's your problem. You work here, but you need to be so social and spiritual growth is on you. And so as businesses, when we come back and we really promote relationships and uh, spiritual capital in, we view it a little differently. We, we really think that our approach to it is we use the, this, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, we all know that story. The, the traveler was beat up and left for dead. The priest and the Levite walked down the road and they walked around him. The Good Samaritan, the, the faith-driven entrepreneur, as it were, as I like to say, came along, picked him up, took him to the hotel, took care of him, befriended him, et cetera. I think as business people, we need to lead with economic capital. We need to lead with good jobs, not a bad job, not a poor paying job, but a good job. So we all know what financial capital is. It's, you know, the financial bottom line. Social capital is all the things that money can't buy. And I think the way you, the way we really try to implement social capital is by creating this space and, and provide things that money can't buy for people. And we do that by loving our neighbors. We love ourselves. I think that's the key component there. Spiritual capital is really all the beliefs and the principles and the uh, culture that we create in our business that creates this space for people that when they have a time of need, uh, they say, I think these people have the answer. So we really base it on the parable of the Good Samaritan. You have the fellow that was the traveler beaten up, laying by the, the side of the road to die, left to die. The priest and the Levite came along and says they walked around him. But the Good Samaritan, the the the, the business person, I would like to say, picked him up, took him to the hotel, took care of him. And I think as business people, we should lead with economic capital. We should lead with a good job. And when we do that, um, we get people's attention. Not a bad job, but a good job. We should then create social capital by loving them like we love ourselves. When I walk into the prison, I spend the first 45 minutes or an hour just walking the floor and talking to everyone because I want them to know that I personally care for them one-to-one. -one. And then spiritual capital is simply the way we work that is um, we let people know who we are. Uh, we talk about Jesus. We uh, we talk about the importance of the word, but where spiritual capital really comes into play is when someone has a need, uh, and we all have these times in our lives, these James one moments, as it were, we want to be the place where they want to come and talk to us. And so when that happens, then we're continually looking for this opportunity when someone is struggling or in need we're the place where they're come and, and we can share the good news with them and the purpose. So uh, when you do that, it creates this very holistic environment. We have a lot of people who are not Christians who work for us, but they know it's a safe place to talk to us about their problems. Pete, a lot of what you're doing as a businessman is actually being the church to your employees and you're loving them through that opportunity, you have a lot of hours with them as being their employer. And what an opportunity to show your life and show your values to them through how you act day to day with them. And that does create that safe place. That's why they're bringing their problems and asking for the assistance. That's 
the way I think Jesus commanded us to live and love one another. I think you're you're doing it very well in that system. And I know it's not perfect. We're, none of us are, but it's a really great example for us to all learn from. Uh, the impact on um, on fa- on lives that have kind of worked for you from this prison um, has been incredible. Um, I've heard. Um, I think it was your son that had shared the number. Um, the the number of of recidivism rate for folks that actually that do get to parole out um, of the prison who've kind of worked for you and been a part of the business who are making a full living wage, not making what they usually make in prison, but making a full living wage, giving them um, significant job skills and even building up like a resume. Um, I, I believe the number is is under ten percent of a recidivism rate. Is that is that does that sound right and ring true? That's correct. Nationally, the recidivism rate, which is the rate that inmates return to prison during a five-year period after they first get out, is about 70, 70%. Uh, we just finished up study of, you know, four or five months ago. Uh, we've had seven people out of a, a little over 103 or a little over out of 103 or 104 folks uh, come back to prison. So we're about a 7% rate from what we can do. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I was I was sharing some of that information with a friend of mine who's kind of passionate about trying to seek to do things to solve um, the racism rate. And and he said, um, I was sharing kind of a little bit of that story. And, and he's like, oh, do you think Pete would come and put a business in the prison that we have? And I'm like, well, maybe, but probably Pete and others would just encourage faithful entrepreneurs to place businesses in in, in our prisons and to uh, create jobs, create opportunities, and pour in the life of others. And so, um, so thank you for that kind of the hope that I think that there is out there as people see the impact of jobs, of the the social capital, the spiritual capital um, that, that it can have on, on the life of these individuals. So thank you guys for stewarding that. Um, is... You know, you said that started in 2005. Where uh, are you guys still in prison today, or do you still own those businesses? Because you guys, you, you you also buy and sell businesses. So is that something that's still part of your portfolio? We we still have that original business that in 2005. It's uh, currently we we are now in two different prisons. So we're in a maximum security prison and a medium security prison. We have a seat company in the maximum security prison. It employs about 150 on a daily basis. We have another business called Electrics, which was the original business. It's in a medium security prison now, and we employ about 150 there. And we employ about a thousand in Zacatecas, Mexico. And we use the same principles in Zacatecas, Mexico as we do in the prison. And we're seeing really terrific results there as well. That's so great. And, and in those, you are, you talk about some of the same principles. You're, you're providing life lessons to the employees and things like that as well. That's correct. We, oh gosh, we just, we're constantly trying to dream up things, whether it's, uh, you know, we've got a, we started a seminary in the prison. I think we've graduated 18 or 19 from that seminary. We built a, with the help of a lot of folks, a million dollar church inside of the prison that I think 15,000 hours of online training free of charge to any of the employees. They can do fathering classes, personal finance, lean manufacturing, black belt in entrepreneurship, whatever. There's just all this stuff that we're constantly offering. And uh, and then, you know, I think the important things is just, just to walk around and love them. Mm. Uh, once a week we do, um, we have... 
iPads around our, our plant. And so on Friday, everybody at some point in time is supposed to go over and there's three faces on the iPad, a smiley face, a frowning face, and a kind of an in-between face. And you're just to poke one of those to tell us how you're feeling. Monday morning, eight o'clock, all the managers have their department results. So they know literally how people are feeling. And, you know, during COVID, we, we would, if you hit a frowning face, we ask why. And so during COVID, a lot of people were depressed. We, so we brought in counselors. We have nine chaplains throughout our company. And uh, those are a very powerful thing for us. I think last quarter, they had 2,200 confidential conversations with 500 of our 1,200 folks, 211 gospel presentations, and seven folks came to Christ. Praise so God. it's just, the, these chaplains are just wandering the floor, and they've built relationships so that when your mom dies or your husband has cancer or your kids are on drugs, they can talk to them, and then that just leads to all kinds of good things. The the impact of uh, a chaplains in business has continued to um, inspire me, encourage me, and so uh, even what I'm hearing um, is your utilization of those not just in the prison but outside, and probably an encouragement to other business owners to consider having chaplains be a part of their uh, a part of their business to to be there for 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 their people. I'd highly recommend them. That's so great, so great. Um, well, well, Pete, I've heard you talk before about um, the benefits of setting a financial finish line um, and the ability and, and, and the process that you and your and your wife and some other small group friends kind of did to, to kind of do that. Could you um, could you share that? I found that um, you don't have to go into the, to the dollar amounts, but the uh, but the models can be super helpful for folks as they're trying to f- wrestle through. They they're hearing more about people setting financial finish lines. We had Alan Barnhart on the podcast early on, and he talked about the importance of it, and, and many others. And so, love to hear you to to riff on that a little bit. Twenty five years ago, I went to a conference, and one of the speakers asked the question, "How much is enough?" So. Myself and a few of my friends were there and we walked out in the hallway. And of course, we began to ask each other, have you set the finish line? How much is enough? None of us had a number. So we agreed to get together a few months later and just simply talk about that question. After a couple of days, we all came. The goal was for us to set a net worth number. So we all went around the room and 2 million, 5 million, 10 million, whatever the number was, we all set a number. And then at the end of that, somebody, some brave soul said, well, you know, to make sure we're just not floating a number out there, let's meet every year and ask each other and hold each other accountable to that number. So if you go past that number, uh, you need to be doing something about it. So year one went by, year two, I think year three or four we met and several of the folks had, in fact, most of us had blown through our, that number. We were we were in excess of that number. Here was a problem. It was in our privately held companies. So then we began to ask the question, how do we give our companies away? And this was in the early 2000s. And literally, I had worked with uh, Terry Parker at um, NCF and um, Greg Sperry. And we literally set up a foundation. We're starting to transfer assets and whatever. And the IRS changed the rules on us. And so we had to stop. I think that was in 2001 or 2002, something like that. Anyway, we continued to meet as a group. And 
in one of the next few meetings, somebody said, well, why is the first 5 million mine and everything else Scott's? Mm. Isn't it a hundred his and zero mine? And we said, yep, that, that, that's right. But don't we need this nest egg and blah, blah, blah. And what the, what we really boiled it down to was the, how much is enough question I think is really not about your net worth. It's more about your lifestyle. Okay. What that did was that freed us up for those who are in business and God's given you the gift of making money and running a business that led it, that turned us loose. Okay. Just to go do what we needed to do. So we continued to grow our business. What we, what we did do as a group is we said, we're going to cap our lifestyles. We're going to cap our incomes out of the business. And that was revolutionary. So for the last 25 years, Deb and I have just taken a set salary out of the business. We've increased it, you know, with inflation every year. We don't take, we've never taken dividends out. And so that's forced us to live on this set amount of money. And the, and the delta between what our lifestyle is and what the business has done, there are really three things that you can do with net income of a business. One is you can reinvest it in the business. Two is you can share it with the, the shareholders or with your team members. And number three is you can give it away. Those are really the only three things that you can do with the net income in a business, I believe. So I made the mistake in the 90s to think I needed to give it all away. I have really changed my tune on that. I, I believe that you're if you're running a Christ-centered business, it's having great impact, that's being a catalyst for flourishing. It is just as godly to reinvest in the business and have impact on people as it is to write the check and send it to Africa, okay? I think you should do both, okay? And we do both, but I, I don't think it's just, businesses are not just a cash cow to send money away, but they're, they are this entity that can be used for great influence. So reinvesting, I think, is fine. With regards to personal dividends, I, I don't think cash, I don't think businesses should be cash cows to, to fund a lavish lifestyle. I think we should cap our lifestyle and then share it with our employees, share it with our share, uh, stakeholders. If you have shareholders in your business, terrific. They need that. And then the last thing is just being generous. We always give away at least 10% of our earnings. There are some years we give a hundred percent away. It just depends on where the business is, where the money is, where God is convicting us to direct it at that point in time, because I'm simply the steward. I'm not the owner. So it's not about increasing my net worth. That's great. Um, you, uh, along the lines, then let's drop that down to also some personal giving. So I've also heard you talk, um, about you know, the three buckets that you guys have in your family. Um, and, and I think it'd be super helpful for people to hear that. So you, you've talked about the spontaneous bucket that Deb manages the encouragement bucket and the, the time treasure talent bucket. Would you flesh that out a little bit with us? And are you still kind of using that model? And, um, and just, just yeah, share with, share with us about that, please. So yeah, our three buckets include uh, this, a spontaneous bucket, an encouragement bucket, and an uh, investment bucket. So the spontaneous bucket is, I'm a very, uh, I'm a very process planned guy. So nothing is very spontaneous in my life, including giving. But I am really trying to get better in spontaneous giving. Deb is terrific at it. So 
The spontaneous bucket is simply a bucket that if somebody comes and asks for something on the spot, we write them a check or give them cash or whatever. Deb's really good at that, and so she's in charge of that. And that might be that might be a few dollars to a few thousand dollars, okay? Uh, the next bucket up is an encouragement bucket. The only thing that we really invest in our spontaneous bucket is cash or, or treasure. We simply write a check. We don't do anything more. On the encouragement bucket, we invest time and treasure. The encouragement bucket is really a bigger gift that is given because we have a relationship with someone, primarily uh, missionaries overseas or somebody starting a business or uh, we have a relationship and we also write a check. And then we have an investment bucket, which is the last bucket and which gets our bigger gifts. And it's we try to limit that to maybe four or five ministries, but they're going to it's going to get our time, our talent and our treasure. So we write a check, we spend time, and then we also try to provide some expertise uh, that's really maybe around a cause that's very near and dear to us. So those three buckets have allowed us to really, um, it's really freed us up to say yes to a lot of things and no to other things. That's perfect. Well, thank you um, on that. The um, uh you you just also uh, thinking about the stewardship of influence and expertise. Um, you've also kind of recently started another um, leadership um, kind of uh, summit group. Could you tell us a little bit about that and and what are your aims in that group? Um, I, I had some friends that were just actually at your gathering. Uh, was it a week or two ago? And were really really encouraged by it. And how can people get involved in that? I'm 71. I transitioned out of the business five years ago, and Austin took over the day to day. I will tell you that was a um, that was a very difficult year for me, if mm-hmm. I'm very honest with you. Um, I had preached to everyone I was a steward all my life, but when it came to signing the stock certificate, saying, Austin, you're now the steward, ooh, that was tough. But um, God really used that, and it really freed me up. Uh, we hired a succession consultant, and he said, Pete, you've got to let these young guys go with it, and you need to step back. And so when I stepped back, that freed me up. So over the last four or five years, I've simply spent most of my time codifying the way we've done business for 30 or 40 years. And um, it's it's very simple. We believe that business should be a catalyst for flourishing, so you need to create economic, social, and spiritual capital and you apply four different principles, honor God, serve people, be excellent, be a good steward to your business. And so we've codified all of this and we put it into an online curriculum. It's actually an operating system that people can um, put in their business, implement in their business. And it just, uh, I think it, 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 it's a system for how you can create economic, social, and spiritual capital in your business and do that. So we call this philosophy enterprise stewardship. So we literally will come alongside businesses and, and coach them up on how to do that. And then last week, we got about 80 or 90 of our uh, kind of our business friends together and talked about that in particular, how you do that. And I really believe business is the it is the best platform for getting people to Christ. And Lori, you mentioned this, you know, we people spend 40 or 50 hours a week with us. They might spend an hour or two in church. They see where the rubber meets the road in business. 
that is where we need to really exemplify Christ. And so I think that's just, uh, I just love business and I'm really excited about um, what we can do as a business community. So Pete, can people reach out? Like how can they reach out to find out about that resource and that enterprise stewardship? Yes. If you go to enterprisestewardship.com and you can get on there and just reach out to us and we're happy to, there's some information on the website. And then um, what I really like to do is just visit with people one-on-one to find out where they are. And, uh, and we've got several, there are several, you know, we have, we have a program for small businesses and medium businesses and businesses that are scaling at, you know, 50 or hundred million. So we've got a group of coaches that are Christ-centered, uh, have been very successful in business themselves. And so we literally come along. There are three things we want to help you do. We want to help you maximize your financial profit. We want to increase that. Number two, socially, we want you to have the best place to work. We want you to have influence on your families and on your community. And lastly, we want to help you be a winsome witness for Jesus in your business and and have lots of spiritual capital coming out of that as well. So Pete, I know that your transition to your son of taking over the business was definitely challenging, and we never want to minimize that because it is. But I see you've now multiplied yourself to being able to teach these other businesses. So you're stewarding your own time now to multiplying into all these other businesses. What a great gift you are giving. So thank you for that. Lori, I just, um, it's very interesting. Now that I look back at four or five years, and I just, I thank God that my son really wanted to take over the business and be in charge and be in control. And I thank you for the counsel that people came along and said, Pete, you need to do something else because it totally freed me up. And the leverage that I now see in my time from for, for what I'm doing now, um, it's just thrilling. I can't, I'm busier today at 71 than I was at 65 or 45 or 35. It's crazy. I love to see how God's using that. That is just phenomenal. Um, We're going to close now, and we always do like to ask, and this is a little bit different from your own resources, of do you have a recommended resource for our listeners that they could be helped by a book or something else? We always like to champion. Is there something that you've learned from that um, we can pass on to our our listeners? Yes. You know, uh, I I think it... For us, it all started with really understanding good personal finance. So the first thing I would really encourage people to do is make sure your own personal your own personal house is in order. And then I'm as we have are working with more and more business people, I think it is um, I'll speak primarily to business people here, but the main thing we need is encouragement. And so I would really encourage you, there are a number of resources out there, Um, Christian peer advisory groups like C12 or Convene or Unconventional Business Network, or there's a bunch of them. Uh, Find other people that you can get with and begin to be encouraged. I continue to think through uh, Hebrews 10.24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give a meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage 
one another all the more as we see the day approaching. In business, we tend to get so focused on ourselves and our business and our problems that we we fail to kind of reach out and we we fail to humble ourselves and ask for help when we need it. And so I would just encourage the business community, uh, the more we can come together, the more we can encourage each other, the way better off we'll be. And there's a bunch of resources out there that I would encourage people to, to take advantage of. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time, Pete. Um, uh, that is a great resource. We will go ahead and actually um, uh, link in our show notes both to uh, Enterprise uh, uh, systems, um, uh, enterprise stewardship, I'm sorry. And then also, um, uh, part of, uh, we're, we're huge fans of the different peer groups as well. And so we'll actually put some links in for, for some of those out there. And so, um, let's not go it alone. Let's have some accountability, some encouragement from one another and, uh, really appreciate that. And so on the Generosity Now podcast, we do seek to inspire, equip, and connect our listeners for generous kingdom impact and whole life stewardship. For more information on us, please check us out at ncfgiving.com forward slash Rocky Mountains and generositynow.org. Please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your network. And we're gonna, I'm going to ask uh, Lori to close us with a doxology today out of 1 Peter chapter 4. As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him who belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen and amen. amen. Thanks much, Pete, for being with us today. Glory, Eric. Thank you.